back to Wheel Take Selly episode seven. I'm Nick, and as always, I'm joined with my brother Andy here. And Montreal has made it. <laughs> yeah, uh, what a what a run by Montreal! They they made it to Stanley Cup final, and they got slotted up against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, I think a lot of people going into this series saw Montreal just getting swiped or just getting wiped the the floor with them. By, by Tampa Bay, and, you know, I, I didn't see it as that. Uh, I don't know if we made predictions last week, but I said Montreal in six. I just really love the way that this team is, had been playing up until uh, game six of the Vegas uh, series, and, of course, they won that game in, in, in overtime, and they looked like a really good team heading into this Stanley Cup final. And then Tampa Bay on the other side, again, they looked like a really good team. They're a deadly team on the power play. I mean, officiating the way it's been this season, this postseason, it's it's been a little chalky. But you know, Tampa Bay can make their opponents pay for for putting them on the power play or putting them up a man, and and they've done so up until this point. Uh, and, and Montreal, ha- you know, needs to to be able to counter that going into games three and four at home, because games one and two, man, I don't know about you, but. Uh, Game one definitely was just a domination by Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, Montreal couldn't even get the puck. It just felt like you were watching Tampa Bay play in Montreal's offensive zone for 60 minutes. You know, uh, Montreal got a goal. I don't know how <laughs> in that game, but they did. Uh, and then going into game two, Montreal looked really, really good. And, and you know, I feel so bad for them going it into the second intermission they were down two to one and i swear to god the shots had to have been like 20 to four in that period in that second period in montreal just they couldn't score they couldn't capitalize on their chances and it's hurting them right now and and tampa bay is making them pay yeah so um i yeah uh game one was a little ugly um, I really felt Tampa, you know, was flexing their, um, just their tier ranking, you know, as, as it relates to where you would probably rank Montreal in a tier ranking set. Um, I didn't expect Montreal to win game one and a five, one win like that. It's, it's Tampa Bay. They're at home. I mean, you see the scoreboard. It is a pretty off balanced scoreboard but um you're not it's not like you're losing you know eight to one or eight to zero there's been some pretty ugly scoreboards this postseason and tampa bay has been responsible for a couple of them um so game one I, I, like i said i didn't expect montreal to win tampa was flexing their their power their dominance um they were they were hot that night those they were feeling good they scored that first goal and um I think I like audibly said to myself, "Oh, it's over with." It's it was just one of those first goals where you can really feel, okay, it, this one has set the tone for this game. Um, I continued to watch, but I, I didn't watch it too nitty gritty um, because I did feel that way. And, and you know, after a couple more goals, it just kind of starts hitting that home for you again. And you know, they always say a, a three-goal lead in the NHL is the most dangerous lead in sports. But um, when Tampa's holding that lead and Vasilevsky is on um, Tampa's side keeping pucks out, it actually isn't too bad of a of a lead. I mean, I mean for Tampa, a one-goal lead isn't too bad. You watch them play one-goal games, and they had a number of one-goal games with the Carolina Hurricanes where they didn't score any empty netters because they're they're that okay with committing to that much defense um their their any goal lead for them is extremely valuable because of how uh tight they can get and um they have a, they have the number one goalie in hockey right now and when the team is collectively playing just to assist him and make his job easier it, it's it's very it's a very hard system to beat and so game one or, or game two moving on to game two rather Montreal looked way better. They, uh, I mean, a lot of people felt that they should have probably won last night. Um, 
And so they definitely came back with that fire that they needed to. Um, I know they lost and they're down 2-0 in the series. And a lot of people are saying this one's over with. Um, but hey, let's not forget, they've already been down 3-1 at one point this series, uh, this season. And it doesn't matter who they beat. I don't care that it's Toronto. Um, it could have been it could have been Buffalo. It could have been Detroit. You got to win three games against the team and against any team that could be difficult. So they've faced that adversity. They're not too uncomfortable right now. They looked really comfortable last night. Um, and they're on their way back home. Uh, I haven't uh, I don't know if I've used the phrase yet. I, I probably have. Um, it's a pretty common phrase in hockey, but in the playoffs, you're not technically in trouble until you've lost at home. Um, and definitely last night's showing from Montreal is very reassuring. They definitely don't look like they're out of this for me. Um, I definitely like to hold off and, and at least wait for them to lose in Montreal before I say that this one's wrapped up um, because I think they might knock uh, Vasilevsky a little bit off his uh, game. In, in game three uh, and hopefully game four because they will be at home. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm optimistic. I, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic given the current situation of this series. Um, but I, I will admittedly say it is difficult to stay engaged in this uh, in these games when Tampa begins to, to take hold. I mean, I've, I think it was last night. I mean, it was last night or game one, but one of the games, I just felt like every like every time I looked up, uh, Tampa was at the start of another power play. And so I think Tampa went on two or three straight power plays, and it, it really just killed me. I mean, it was, it was difficult to stay engaged with that game um, the entire night, especially once the scoreboard started, started becoming so lopsided. But um, as far as the series as a whole, I'm not I'm not that shaky yet about Montreal. I would agree with that. Um I I thought their uh game two rebound was really good. Uh I know they ended up losing, but they had a they had a miscue on that third goal where Edmondson just kind of pulled a Marc Andre Fleury and just misplayed the puck. And I guess Petrie, the broadcast, uh NBC was saying that. Uh, I guess Petrie was calling for a reverse on that, and they speculated that Edmondson just didn't hear him. So, you know, there was a miscommunication. Next thing you know, it's it's in the back of your net, um, and and that was that was the third goal, and that was the dagger. But up until that point, it was a one goal game, and Montreal didn't look out yet. Uh, for game two, my notes, I'm just kind of looking at them. Uh, for the start of the game, I said Montreal needs the first goal. And I think that going forward, Montreal absolutely uh, needs to be the team to score first. Um, you score and I would first, say, Nick, I would say that about any team that's playing Tampa. It is yeah. extremely difficult to beat Tampa if they're scoring first on you. Right, because Montreal is a team that once they have a lead, they know how to play with that lead. They're very similar to Tampa Bay, where you know if they're, like you said, when they're up by one, um, I don't know many oppor- I don't know many uh, times that Montreal got a uh, an empty net goal in the playoffs. Uh, similar to Tampa, what you said earlier. So both these teams are really good when they have a lead. So I thought it was very important for Montreal to score the first goal. They didn't end up you know, getting the first goal, but they would then later tie uh, the game at, at one. And they had a brilliant second period after a first period that was, uh, I think they took two penalties in the first period. Tampa Tampa was pretty, you know, as always, they looked really good in the power play. Uh, and I thought it was very important for them to, to have a good first road period where you don't give up a goal and zero, zero. And yeah, you may say it's not the best period that Montreal's played, but Hey, at least you're you're going into the intermission tied up, uh, and then the second period, like we said, it, it was just it was a phenomenal period by Montreal. Uh, they out they at one point Montreal was out shooting uh, Tampa Bay at a three to one margin. They had 24 shots on goal to Tampa's eight at one point in the in the second period. Yeah, it was it was insane, um, but that just goes to show you how how incredibly uh, brilliant. Vasilevsky, as you said, he's number one goalie, and I think that anybody who's still kind of up in the air about 
Price versus Vasilevsky. I think these first two games have unfortunately uh, favored Vasilevsky, especially game two where he had to come up with some pretty big saves in that second period. And and like you said, the dagger, or like I said, the, the dagger in the second period was that Blake Coleman goal with 0.3 seconds left. I mean, Gosh, that was great. It was a crazy goal, and it, it reminded me a lot of his goal last year in the bubble against the Boston Bruins. I didn't see a lot of people compare um, that goal he scored last night to the one in, in the bubble against oh, really? Boston, but they were very similar goals. Um, you know, you may be able to quickly look it up if you want, but it's almost I, the exact same play. Yeah, I've seen a lot of very similar comparisons, and I thought Eddie, no, not Eddie, he was on last night. I thought somebody in the booth mentioned it right after it happened, like comparing it to that to last year's goal. But, but yeah, hey, um, a lot of the reason why Tampa has sealed off these close games, um, you know, to your point, they're pretty close, very very late into the game typically, and it, and it's it's tough because you know Tampa seems to be getting the breaks. The breaks seem to be going their way right now. Um, uh, you know, couple that not only with Vasilevsky's skill at goaling. I mean, his I've kind of alluded to it before, I think, but his position, his positioning, I think, is what truly makes him an elite goaltender because he's he positions himself in a manner that allows him to make saves on pucks that have been tipped, that he has no vision on, that he that are just flying all around and kicking around people's skates. I mean, he, he, he makes countless saves like that. There was one, I think it was last night. I think, um, who was it? Uh, it might've been Petrie. I think it was a defenseman takes a shot from not the point, but like kind of off into the center of the blue line. And, uh, it does tip a stick, but I think Vasilevsky gets his stick on the puck off the deflection off of the ice so yeah i mean he really in my opinion he's he is the number one goaltender in the world right now um he's certainly human and you know what price is is he's good too i mean he's he's definitely proving himself i think as a top top 10 goalie in the league maybe even top five i mean he's gonna have to play like a top three um really to win to steal a game, not steal a game, but to win a game from Tampa. And actually, if they are in Tampa Bay, I honestly would say to steal a game from them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you and I kind of set it up before the series started that it was going to come down to the goalies and and how each team was going to pick the other one apart. Um, like I said, seems like a lot of the breaks right now are going uh, Tampa's way. Uh, that yeah, that that goal with like less than a second left in that period was, I mean, I was holding my breath the whole time through it. I kept looking, I just kept darting between the clock and uh, the play. And I thought price had enough of it. I thought it was going to like slow it down enough where the time was going to expire first, but geez, when that went in, that was tough. I think it did kind of end that game for Montreal, but um. I don't know. I mean, the the forwards, everybody looks good nonetheless. It, it's it's they're a consistent team, you know. They like you say, they stick to their system. When they get a one goal lead, they're they're completely comfortable, completely fine with sitting back in the neutral zone, letting Tampa work their way up and see what they're trying to unfold. Clogging that neutral zone up at the blue line, uh, causing turnovers, causing. Um, offsides, all sorts of stoppages. Uh, this is actually what Tampa was doing a lot to us. Uh, shout out Pierre for reminding us in about, you know, four times in about 15 seconds that Tampa was really, in, or maybe it was Nashville, maybe it was Nashville, was really enjoying uh, breaking. I think it was Nashville because Tampa plays like us. They like a continuous clock. and um, But Nashville oh, yeah. was completely okay with just chipping pucks into the into the benches and many whistles Uh, as possible exactly man exactly stop like as many stoppages as as they can yeah um i you said everyone looks good i just have two gripes with uh two montreal players and i think that 
uh, they they're going to have a lot of criticism, especially after these two games. And I'll I'll just say it: it's Brendan Gallagher and it's Josh Anderson. Um, you know, Anderson Anderson was traded in the off season for Max Domi, and you know at the time Bergeron looked like a genius. And then when he signed Anderson to his contract, everyone was like, "Okay, I think we're you know going a little bit too much on on Anderson here." So the expectations, I think, going into this season for Anderson were definitely there. Uh, he's a power forward, absolutely. Um, you know, he's a guy who who's, doesn't have, you know, hands in the sense that, you know, like a Braden Pointer or a Kucherov. But, you know, the, the separation between him and, and a Kucherov is that he can just muscle his way, you know, past some defenders and, you know, make a, a quick deke and, and score. And we just haven't really seen that with with Josh Anderson. I mean, I remember mentioning it in the group chat last night. Anytime he's on a, a quick breakaway, kind of those breakaways, similar to a Cole Caulfield when he scored the goal on Robin Leonard, where you just kind of go wide on a guy and you get a short breakaway. It seems the only move he has is to protect the puck, protect it, protect it, and then he tries to either stuff it in, in between the five hole or just tries for a rebound like he did uh, when Kakadiemi scored in Vegas. Um, but it, it's just outside of that, you know, he's like Greg said in, on, in, in the group chat as well. He's just getting too involved in the scrums. And it's just like, man, if you exerted that energy into your game and, and focused more on maybe shooting the puck or getting towards the net, crashing the net, I, I feel like that would be a better use of your, your energy than to, you know, face wash Blake Coleman, face wash, you know, Pat Maroon, Sergachev, whoever. And then on the other coin, on the other side of the coin, it's Brendan Gallagher. And Gallagher is known as a as a sort of a pest similar to a Brad Marchand, a guy who's just going to get under your skin and have the talent enough to to score goals and to put up points. And Gallagher just, man, he's, he's definitely been disappointing. Uh, off the top of my head, I was thinking last night, and I'm like, when was the last goal? What was the last goal you remember him scoring? And my answer was game seven uh, against the uh, Leafs. I don't remember another goal from him. And I know I, he's had more goals than that, but that was the last one I could remember him even scoring. Um, and just a lot of the times he looks invisible out there. You know, he's kind of just skating around. Sure, he's definitely putting a body on people, but, um, you know, you, you want production out of these guys. At the end of the day, it's nice that they're getting under a, team, a player's skin or maybe they're, they're just causing trouble, whatever it might be. But ultimately, you want production out of these guys. You know, it's great that they can punch Sergeyev in the face, face wash Maroon, but they need to put the puck in that. It's what they're getting paid for. Uh, and, you know, we're just not seeing that out of Gallagher and, and Anderson. So I would say that those are the only two guys I think I'd just be a little bit crit- critical of. On Montreal. Yeah, I agree with the Gallagher one for sure. Actually, when you... Uh, when you were kind of teeing up this point that you were about to make, I was in my head saying Gallagher over and over again. Anderson, I'm not as uh, I, I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't be as critical um, about Anderson in my own opinion, just because. Uh, I mean, with Pat Maroon on the ice and Killorn. I mean, I know Killorn's not going to be in anymore, but in the past he's been. You know, he's on the ice. Hedman's always on the ice. Sargachev. Um, it's the playoffs, and you do need you do need a power forward guy to be, you know, doing that jockeying with the with the defenders when he's in the crease, jockeying with the forwards when he's in the faceoff circle. Um, and Anderson is a big body to be doing that, and I'd prefer Anderson to be doing that kind of stuff than a Gallagher. To your point, um, Gallagher is a small guy. I mean, you saw what Sergachev did to him. He just. <laughs> He basically just kind of put his body weight on the Gallagher and, you know, body slammed his forehead into the ice and Gallagher's got a spider web of blood all over him. So, yeah, I'd like I I would like to see Gallagher uh, maybe tighten up, maybe uh, not not clean up his act, but um, dial back maybe on on um, the grittiness let the let your bigger guys take care of that stuff let Weber step in for you um, let Anderson step into that um, Armia if he's out there uh, Edmondson especially actually I can't even 
believe I forgot about him because we picked him up at a trade deadline going into, I think, last year's playoffs for that exact reason. And and so he's a guy that I know can do that kind of thing. He he loves to be physical with, with other guys because um, he's a big defenseman. He's a solid defenseman on his skates. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I might not be as critical about the um, wanting to see Anderson do a little bit more. Uh, but I do think that uh, you are right. I think Gallagher could um, definitely be. I think he has a little area of improvement. Um, maybe. I mean, I mean, it's the playoffs, you know. Maybe, maybe the coach needs to sit down with him and, and be, you know, hey, we appreciate what you're doing out there. Um, but to your point, Nick, uh, we need Gallagher. We need you to start scoring. We need you to start putting pucks in the net. Let Anderson take care of the heavy stuff. You know, he's. He's a guy who's when he exerts that kind of energy, he can he can exert it in a little bit more of an efficient manner than you can. Um, so I do I do like that criticism of Gallagher, though. Yeah, no, I, I actually after hearing that point, I think that I could sympathize sympathize with you on, with Anderson. I think you brought up a good point there. Maybe Gallagher should just be the guy, as we both agreed on, should be this, the producer while Anderson just takes the pest. Uh, name tag, if you will. Uh, real quickly, though, I'd like to bring up that Sergachev uh, tussle sure. with 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 uh, with Brendan Gallagher. I I want to be a little bit critical of the last, I think, five minutes of that game one, um, where I want to say it was four one Tampa or three one Tampa at that point, and you can clearly tell that that tensions were were getting you know, high in, in this team, they were starting to play more of the physical game rather than the the uh, skill-wise uh, game. And I just, I, I'm just a little bit critical of the officiating in that last five minutes. I know I brought it up with you in, in the uh, group chat. And, it, and it's just like, you know, why? There's five minutes left. They're going to be going after one another. They're They're pissed off. I mean, Montreal's frustrated. They couldn't get anything past... Vasilevsky, and I'm sure that they were pissed off that they couldn't seem to be get get anything going against Tampa. Uh, and you know, with five minutes left, I swear every single scrum there was a penalty coming out of it. Uh, and then that happened. And then Sergachev takes down Gallagher without a helmet on, and it's a dangerous play. I mean, we had we had a whole bunch of energy against Tom Wilson, and I'm not trying to turn this into a Tom Wilson thing, but. You know, it was there, and it's warranted with Tom Wilson. I totally get it. Anytime a player doesn't have a helmet on and they're getting, you know, pummeled down to the ground, it's very dangerous. And that happened last night. You know, Tom Wilson didn't hit Panarin in the head when he, when they, you know, crashed on the ice. But Sergachev literally, you know, went head first. You know, uh, Gallagher goes head first into the ice without a helmet on he comes up blood all over his face he's bleeding everywhere um and i just thought at that point i was like okay maybe this is where the referees step in and say enough is enough and they give sergachev possibly a game misconduct or they give him a five minute major whatever and it didn't happen and all the only thing that happens is like uh was it coleman or or goodrow goes to the box for a a gimpy little cross check that happened before yeah, this scrum cool. even started. I, I was kind of just like, you know, if you wanted to take over this game and say it, you know, enough of this scrummy stuff, that was the point to do it. And they didn't do it there. Um, and I thought that game two, you know, the officiating was fine, but just in that last five minutes of game one, I thought the refs and the officials could have just done a little bit of a better job managing uh, the game at that point. It's, Certainly questionable, man. It's the decision time of everything. I remember you bringing that up in a message, and I think my first rebuttal was, well, don't forget that in game five, game five of the Islander series, um, Tampa was up 6-1, and they needed a penalty call so that Kucherov could keep the goal, the goal streak going. For the seventh goal, it was 6-1 to one in the third period. Why are you calling penalties? Anything, unless it's a delay of game. Even high sticks, you should be letting go. The, the, that game is over with. <laughs> um, I don't know. The uh, the Sergeyev 
Gallagher interaction. Here's the thing, Nick. I agree with you. I think what Sergachev did to Gallagher was uh, much more concerning, much more uh, unwarranted, and just, well, just those two things. It was much more unwarranted, and, and it was a little bit over the top um, compared to the Tom Wilson-Panarin interaction. But I can see why you're not hearing the outcry because Wilson and Panarin were in the regular season. The Rangers aren't going to the playoffs and Panarin's a superstar. And Tom Wilson is Tom Wilson. Um, and then here's the, here's the flip side of this one. It's game two of the Stanley Cup finals. And, you know, this kind of behavior is pretty regular at this point in the season. So it's probably a little bit more normalized to people right now. And like, to your point, it's not Tom Wilson. He's not involved. So you're already losing some attention right there. But I do agree. I think it was a lot more irresponsible of Sergachev to do what he did to Gallagher than what um, Wilson had done to Panarin and the Rangers that night. Right. And, and I'm not trying to say like, you know, it, we shouldn't have that reaction against Tom Wilson. Um, it's just, to me, I, like you said, it was just unwarranted. I mean, it, the guy has his helmet off and he's a very vulnerable player and you're trying to tackle him to the ice. You're trying to, you know, I mean, I'm totally okay. If Sergachev takes, you know, Gallagher by the Jersey and face washes him or punches him or whatever. But once you see yeah. a player doesn't have a helmet on you're, you shouldn't be trying to pin that guy on the ground or, or do anything uh, physically to make sh- to not have him hit hit his head on the ice. You know, you, you shouldn't mm. be trying to wrestle him to the ground. You shouldn't be trying to push him body slam, body slam, yeah. body check him. Any of that. I mean, and plus, it's after the whistle. You know, it's just like it wasn't needed. Yeah, and and I mean, at least it should have been a fine. I could understand if maybe. You know the Department of Player Safety had an in-person hearing with them, or or a, a hearing with them at the very least. But nothing came out of it, um, which kind of shocked me. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw this, Sand, but did you see Shea Weber's slash that he got fined for on Kucherov? Uh, yes. Did, uh, you, did you see how Kucherov played that? No, but actually, you know what? I think I did see it, but I don't have a very like keen memory of it. But you know what? I can... you just, that question you just asked me, Nick, there's five other plays I can think about there where he probably did exactly what you're talking about right now. That guy falls and dives. Oh, like, there's no, oh no. My point would just be, so that's a $5,000 fine, but, you know, pummeling a guy headfirst to the ice, blood all over <laughs> his face, there's, there's not even a fine. Okay. Uh, that that was just my point. I mean, you know, you're gonna you're gonna uh, you're gonna find Weber five thousand dollars for a slash that Kucherov clearly sold. Um, I mean, because I don't know anybody who gets slashed in the back of the the right shin and suddenly his left leg just jerks up. Um, but in all seriousness, I mean, why is that a five thousand dollar fine in this league? But you know, like I said, pummeling a guy to the ground. And I get that Sergachev doesn't have a history, but it's just like, I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't. Because Shea Weber, he's often, you know, oftenly very clean player. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like this guy is is like a Tom Wilson or a, a George Peros or a, a Ty Dolman. You know, it was just a slash to the back of the leg. It was definitely unwarranted, but I mean, Kucherov sold it. You got to agree on that. It, it was unwarranted slash, but it's an unwarranted dive. Yeah. So there, there's my criticism of that. It's just, to me, it, it irked me. And I thought I'd br- bring it up because I just wanted to hear what you had to say about it. I got you. Yeah, no, Kucherov is, um, yeah. I, I've seen the guy dive. I've seen, he, he's one to hold his stick pretty loosely. When when uh, you know you're chopping at another guy's stick, watch him to drop sticks pretty easily. Um, that is a good comparison, man. But you know what? 
it's it's sad to say, but the only thing we can look at then is one of them happened to Kucherov, <clears throat> one of the best players on the best teams in the league, and one of them happened to Brendan Gallagher. <laughs> you know, some yeah, it's you know, unfortunate, man. Montreal, it, it's it's tough, but you know what? And actually, to Gallagher's point, uh, or to Gallagher's credit, it wasn't shortly after that had happened maybe actually it might have been the next game um but there was a play where he he got like run into the boards he was on a breakaway or he was trying to make a breakaway i think the puck got knocked away or he lost control and it it sent you know the play essentially left his responsibility but the defender who was who was uh, covering him did not uh like let up and they just railed him into the boards on from from his knees he was on his knees and he got rails into the board and um you know it's a play where he could have done something stupid like you know cross check the guy while he's getting up he could be he could have held on to him and maybe um ended up you know he could have done something to try and draw a penalty or try and get back um and it might have resulted in a penalty kill for them Best case scenario, it might have resulted in a one for one. Um, but you know what he did? He just ripped the guy's helmet off, which I thought was hilarious because because of the new rule, he now has to get off the ice. So um, yeah, either they he, put the helmet back on or they get off the ice. And he blew out of there, so the guy uh, couldn't even get a, a shot back of his own. So yeah, I mean, as much as Brendan Gallagher is getting beat up, and as much as you know. We'd like to think that that should be in check, especially when, like you're saying, not only the refs are keeping like Shea Weber's hook uh, slashings on uh, Kucherov in check, but also the league is. Um, so yeah, that I think that's the most questioning thing. The 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 like lapse in the refs treating those two things differently is not as uh, shocking to me as the league treating those two situations differently. That's a good point that you brought up. Well, and it's why I said it. I mean, I have, I understand yeah. you, you call a penalty on Weber slash. It's just, I question the league's response, you know, where the league I has gotcha. the ability, the, the league has the ability to review a play after it's happened. It's not like a ref is going to, you know, call a penalty and go oh wait guys let me review it okay i was wrong it's not a penalty you know they don't have that ability but they the league itself it's it's player safety remember player safety safety is a big part of that that name tag um and you know when the reps don't call anything a lot of people like to look at the league and say okay reps miss this so what's your what's your take on it what do you do and the the ignore the, the, the ignoring of it kind of just made me scratch my head like I, I thought this was player safety. I mean, because, again, you want to talk about suspension or fine, it doesn't matter to me. To me, it, it's you need to make a statement as the league to say we're here for player safety. A player had no helmet on. He went headfirst into the ice. Could have even gotten a concussion from that play. Could have been injured and been out for the rest of this, this series. And, you know, nothing happened. So, to me, it was like, uh, just a little critical of the Department of Player Safety um, compared to what they dealt Shea Weber with, with a $5,000 fine on Kucherov. So that was my only gripe with the uh, the league there. Again, I mean, like we mentioned, the, the officiating towards the, the last five minutes of game one was definitely, uh, you know, questionable. And it's it's just like, just, you know, let the game keep going because the quicker this ends, the quicker they get off the ice and the less scrums you have. Because when you're blowing the whistle all the time and you're calling a penalty, it just creates more frustration and more physicality. Uh, but, but I'll go into a, a note that I had that I think I will bring up here. Uh, and it, it's, I just wrote, Montreal needs to capitalize on their chances. And last night it killed them in game two. Uh, their power play at one point had a four on three. And the broadcast was critical of uh, for like a substantial amount of time, I'd like to say it, right. it was almost full penalties worth of a four on thirty. Right. Okay. And, and so I, I think you'll know what I'll, I'll mention here. But the four was Toffoli, Suzuki, Weber, and Gustafson. And of all four of those players on a four on three, which one do you think is the odd guy out? 
I uh, I think it's Gustafson. Okay, it was a, a trick question, but you got it right. And I thought that I'll, I'll bring I'll, I'll give credit to Pierre Maguire. I know a lot of people are very critical of, of his commentating, but I absolutely have to agree with him. Yes, he mentioned it five times in ten minutes. It's just Pierre, but he he was absolutely right to mention. Why isn't Cole Caulfield on the ice? You know, why is Gustafson there? At the very um, least, Nick, I think you could argue that while there might not be one wrong guy, I think Caulfield is at least a right guy. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, Suzuki, Toffoli, and uh, and Caulfield have been phenomenal throughout these this run that Montreal has had. And they're a large part of the reason why they're here in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, that trio just works really well together. I know the previous game, they were all negative three, um, but, you know, that's not really a... Who was That's not really... You know, it's just unfortunate they were on the ice for three goals, but, you know, Tampa scored five that game. There could have been, there, there could have been a player on the ice for every single goal. Um, so to criticize people for... A, a right. right, yeah, exactly. Um but but going back to the power play, I do have to agree with Pierre. I think you needed a goal at that point to. I, I think it would have been a, a leading goal as well because the game was tied one to one, and you need a goal at that point. I mean, you have like I said, you need to capitalize on your chances. If you're going to beat Tampa Bay, it's going to have to be a collective effort of five on five play and on the power play. I mean, Tampa, you know, isn't necessarily a team that takes a lot of penalties, so the opportunities that you get. You want to cash in on just a couple of them. I mean, you're not obviously going to cash on every single one of them, but you certainly want to cash on more than zero. I agree, dude. I, I, I think anybody who's a human being who's watching that hockey game knows that on that four on three, Montreal absolutely needed to score. I don't think there was any question about it. They had to score that goal um, if they wanted to and- win that and to quickly mention, I don't mean to cut you off, but no, because good. the high stick on Hedman was a double minor, I think, it, no, it was McDonough. I'm sorry, I take that back. It was McDonough. Yes, you're right. A uh, double minor on, on McDonough meant that not only was it a four on three for about, I think it was like a minute 27, but it's also a five on three um, at a certain point because there, there were coincidental minors. Um, I think it was like a minute and 50 seconds on the four on three because, okay. yes, because it was a five on three for like two seconds or something. And then it was like, and then once everything cleared out and it was just a regular power play, they only had like four seconds to score before um, they had killed that first penalty and the next goal would just negate what was left. Okay, my bad. Then I thought they had a five on three for a little bit longer, but regardless, good, uh, well, the four on three was a good while. Right. Here's, here's the thing, dude, and before you cut me off, I just wanted yeah, to make this my bad before I get it. Um, I I imagine uh, Montreal's Montreal in their latest practice maybe ran some um, some old re- regular season drills, some old OT regular season drills because. Um, I think if, if they had, you know, it's not something you're going to run as a coach. Why would you run regular season style overtime plays for your team? Um, you know, this is a, this is a point in the season where, uh, you should be hard pressed to even end up on the power play, let alone a four on three, or, I mean, even let alone on a four on four, um, or a five on three, you know, those, those scenarios aren't very likely. So. You know, maybe maybe the head coach lets the guys have some fun, lets them run some four v three drills, some three v three drills. Get those, um, you know, get the get those juices flowing when there's a lot less people on the ice because you have a lot more space to work around. Um, and if if you're out of touch with with uh, the book during that setting, it might be a little bit more difficult to score when you need to. So. Um, that's the only thing I wanted to mention about that was as much as they needed to score on that, I think it was a very unusual, uh, climate for them to be in. And so it might've made it a little bit more difficult than it would have appeared to as just a spectator to the sport, you know? Yeah. And I think you have a point anytime where you have a four on three for an odd number of minutes, and then it turns on to a five on four. It's not 
like a regular power play where it's a five on four and you have full, you have the face off zone in your offensive zone and you have a full two minutes to set up your power play and, and get things going. It was kind of, I, I would, I would agree with you. It's a very unusual position to be in because uh, when that, when the coincidental minors expire, you know, does Montreal keep that guy? I think it was Paul Byron and I don't think he plays the power play. So it's very awkward for Montreal to, uh, you know, be done with the four on three and then Paul Byron has to skate all the way to the other end of the ice. So a guy like Caulfield can jump on and head down to the offensive zone. Um, but it's actually a good point you brought up about the three on three. Cause I wanted to mention um, Montreal set up on that power play and having Gustafson on there as opposed to, to Caulfield. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Shea Weber was not in his particular zone where he's kind of by that uh, lower face-off dot to the left. He was up at the point also with Gustafson. So I was watching it, and Tim was watching, and I told Tim, I said, Tim, you're not going to score a four-on-three with a box. And that's how they were set up. They had Shea Weber on the left point. Gustafson was the right point. Uh, Toffoli was down at the, you know, I mean, he would go up into the bumper position, but most of the time if there was a pass needed to be made for Gustafson to have options, you know, Toffoli would jump out of that bumper position and go to the boards. And then same thing with Suzuki. Suzuki would just be down in that lower left uh, boards, down by the lower, you know, even below the faceoff dot. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, this is a box. It's going to, this is what you do on a penalty kill with a five on four. You make that box. You don't do a box on the power play. Um, On a four on, on a five on four, typically you have your point. You have your two guys who are going to shoot. Um, like, for example, you have Hedman at the point. You have Stamkos on the left. You have Kucherov on the right. Uh, sometimes you have Palat in the bumper position. and then Or no, points in the bumper position where Palat's kind of in that, hey, I'm an option to pass to if, you know, Stamkos is is uh, getting pressured uh, on the penalty kick. He's kind of in a cycle spot sometimes. Yeah, exactly. He'll go both sides. You know, he doesn't just stay on on Stamkos' side. You know, yeah. he'll help. He'll go to the other side and help Kucherov. And with and I guess my point being, after I've explained all of that, is when you have two defensemen on on a power play, you kind of force yourself into playing that sort of uh, structure. Whereas if you had Cole Caulfield, what you could have had was um, Shea Weber at the point. He had options with Suzuki on the left and Cole Caulfield on the right, uh, while to fully use the screen. Um, so on that power play, I, I just knew that they, they weren't going to score on it because of the way they set that up. And had they not had Gustafson on there and had Caulfield, you would have had, I think, more of a more of just better scoring opportunities because when you're all the way up at the point, man, it, it's it's so easy for, for the three guys to just create their triangle and just stay right where they are and because, you know, they're going to be able to block whatever goes in the middle and keep you on the sides and you know, Tampa Bay successfully killed that uh, that penalty, and then you know, like you said, they had very little time on the on the remaining power play that they had. Um, so going forward, I think that if they were ever to find themselves in a four on three opportunity, you know, don't make that same mistake of putting Gustafson on. Yeah. It's not to say he's a bad player. It's just you know, you needed to score. You've been struggling it's against extreme. this team. You know. Adding a guy who's who's a natural goal scorer like Caulfield is wouldn't have been a bad idea. The other thing, the other thing that does, dude, is um, uh, you, you're you're running a one to one ratio of forwards to defensemen because I'm assuming Tampa was running uh, two two defensemen one forward, and two defensemen at the point can easily be covered by a fast forward. Just put a fast guy up at the point in the middle of them. And just have him dance between the two. He covers both those guys, um, and then you just have the two defensemen working on the only two forwards on the ice with one on one. So, yeah, that's a really tricky position. That's a really precarious position to put yourself in. I don't know why they would do that. I mean, if you, even if they get on a breakaway, it's a maximum of one forward you're dealing with. You know, if you're the defenseman that's back. And you have three forwards on the ice who can back check. They can, I mean, Caulfield has the speed and Suzuki has the speed to get back up in that play. So, yeah, that is, um, I mean, it's funny you brought it up. It was a pretty casual thought in my mind. But, like, the more I think about it, the more that was a really good uh, 
topic to bring up and it really it really coincides with that bit about being rusty from that situation because it's a regular season typically setting rather than uh the uh the playoffs right i mean you don't typically get a four on three in the playoffs so like you said it was an unusual for position for montreal to be in but i kind of look at that and, and kind of say that was the turning point in this game where had montreal scored there maybe blake coleman's goal doesn't happen and montreal's got a 2-1 lead going into the second intermission with 20 minutes left to play um but you know it didn't end up happening that way and i think now it's a good segue into look looking towards the future with montreal going into games three and four um you mentioned it earlier obviously you don't panic until you've lost uh at home and montreal has been pretty good at home uh, they were a little shaky in the the Tampa or not Tampa series, the Toronto series. But you know, since then, I think that they've been a very good home team with a very limited crowd. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but their uh, their motion uh, to add ten thousand five hundred fans to the stadium or rather to the rink was uh, turned down by the Quebec City government. So not a lot of people were were happy about that. So it's still going to stay at. 3,500, unfortunately, but um, Montreal just always seems to play well at home. Um, you know, they ended their last series to go to the Stanley Cup at home, which was huge. I really wish that place was packed. Uh, but it was nice to see that those fans got to celebrate a uh, trip to the Stanley Cup at that uh, at that game six. And uh, I think that they obviously need to win both these games. You can't have Tampa split this uh, home stand you have and then go to game five with a three to one series lead. It's, it's, it's not going to look good for Montreal if they do that. But I would just like to mention two teams that went down uh, two nothing in their series and ended up coming back and winning the Stanley cup. And that would be the 2009 Pittsburgh Penguins. They went down two nothing in the uh, series and came back and won it in seven games. And then. Uh, in the that was Detroit. What did I say? The Pittsburgh well, won in 2009. Their opponent was Detroit that oh, year. I'm just. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which was actually a rematch of the uh, 2008 Stanley Cup, which I always find interesting. Mm-hmm. And then in two, and then in 2011, Boston went down two nothing against uh, Vancouver, and the uh, sort of series altering play was, of course, the infamous hit of Aaron Rome on. I think Nathan Horton, where he just hit him so hard, he knocked out uh, Nathan Horton, and it it completely turned the tides in that series. So it's not over for Montreal. There have been teams who have went on to win the Stanley Cup that it, that went down two nothing, and I'm sure there's more examples than just those two teams. But you know, in recent years, those are the the ones I could uh, muster up. Um, well, so, and you were looking finals series specifically, right? Not, right, and and if you want an example of this year. Colorado went up two nothing against Vegas, and then Vegas won four. <laughs> so it's certainly not a, a um, and certainly not over for for Montreal. And like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, they've been down, you know, three to one before, and that's an elimination game. You know, game five was an elimination. Every single game after that was an elimination game for Montreal, and they they had the adversity to to get through it, um, and they need that right now. They haven't dealt with too much adversity since then uh, they easily handled the jets and you know vegas definitely was a struggle for them but they ended up you know cleaning things up and winning in six games against vegas uh, we need to see some of that adversity that they had in game or not game one in round one against the leafs here in the stanley cup final and what better stage to do it on than in the final and at home i agree man i think um I think I think Montreal is going to come come out in Game Three with a full head of steam. Um, the only thing is, is they they need to be ready. They need to be ready to face a brick wall. Um, I'm going to go back to 2018, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, the Hurricanes and the Bruins. Um, going from Game Two to Game Three in that series, we were uh, flying from Boston back to Carolina, and that was our pivotal game and we came out with a full head of steam in game three and we were we were everybody had their foot on the gas 
um, and we just weren't scoring. Boston was just weathering the storm, and they held off long enough. They got a couple, I don't remember if they were like dirty goals or like breakaway goals, but nonetheless, they found a way to score, and it just like, it. you could see it. I mean, it almost just took all of the wind out of the team. So Montreal going to tonight with a full head of steam, but prepared to run into a wall a few times, uh, a lot of times actually. You're gonna have to play with a full head of steam all night to uh, all night tomorrow night, and if they do that, they you know they might have a chance. To, I, I think we've been seeing a lot of breaks going Tampa's way. I think it's time to start seeing some go Montreal's way. Uh, and as you and I have discussed, all they need is one break, and they can they can weather that storm from that point on. They can play that lead and just make things easy for Price. Yep. Uh, and I think that they need to have a similar game plan that they had in Game 2, where uh, they seem to be throwing everything on Vasilevsky. You need to keep doing that. I, I think that the scouting report on Vasilevsky is he is most of the times a robot. Um, but he's definitely showed signs of him being a human. And that happens when he's just being peppered with shots. I mean, uh, his, his goal last night against Suzuki was a very just kind of like, what happened there? Uh, I know it took a deflection early from a penalty killer, and it was just flat on the ice from that point. Um, I, I guess some of the broadcasters said... Um, Maybe Vasilevsky thought Ryan McDonough would be able to stop it or whoever was in front of the net there. Maybe that maybe there was just a, a miscue by by Vasilevsky thinking that his his opponent or that not his opponent, but rather his teammate was going to have the puck and it didn't. It just goes right right through him. Um, but, you know, Vasilevsky has had difficulty as well closing out a game. Um, I recognize that in the Carolina series, you know, at times where. Tampa Bay would be playing well, but suddenly Vasilevsky gives up kind of a greasy goal, and it uh, it killed them, I think, in Game 3. I think the second goal you guys scored in that game was a, a goal that I think both you and I kind of looked back at and just went, well, Vasilevsky definitely should have had that, but it, it added to our point that he can sometimes have difficulty closing out games. And it's not even just the, the playoffs. It's also the regular season. Um, so That's where I we had eight games against him this year in the regular season. I think at least three of them, he blew a third period lead. Right. And, and I think that the scouting report on him is, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, this guy, if you keep peppering the shots, he will eventually let up greasy goals and it mm-hmm. could be in the third period. So Montreal has to keep doing what they're doing, you know, and I almost feel like if they replicated their second period and translated that into their third period of last yes. game, they would have won. I'm I mean, totally. they had, they, they had, um, I want to say they had to have at least had 20 plus shots in, in the second period last night. And even though that they went down with a crushing goal with 0.3 seconds left, if they just translated that same uh, gameplay to, um, the third period, I think they would have won last night um, because, again, you're, you're wearing out Vasilevsky. You're, you're making that guy maybe go laterally a lot. You're maybe making him. Dude, dude you, you read my mind. I was literally just going to make the point. I was like, let's not forget that Vasilevsky, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's played 100% of Tampa's postseason. And, I mean, he played... What he he played like he played over forty games of the regular season. I think. I mean, he took the the large lion's share of games. He's always in net, um, and they don't have a backup to go to. If they go to their backup, they're not gonna. I don't think I don't think McElhaney can hold it down. Um, he's so cold going in, so cold if he has to go in because Vasilevsky gets all that uh, time, and. Yeah, if you can make him move a lot, like a, laterally a lot more, you are going to wear him out and you are going to make that third period really difficult for him. That's when he feels that fatigue from from his entire season the most is in the third period. So, now nah, you were, uh, I'll let you continue with whatever you were saying, but I, yeah, I just wanted to jump in there because that was, 
the only thing I kept saying in my head over and over because I was just waiting for you to finish so I could say it. So I totally agree. I think if you can get Vassy moving left, right a lot more, um, even just having to field more shots, he's going to, uh, every time you take a shot, he's got to drop down to his knees. So um, definitely pepper him more. Definitely make it difficult. Mm-hmm. My Better point was just going to be make him move you know, laterally more make him have to keep making those position saves that you mentioned where he doesn't have a vision on it. It deflects and it's tough for a goaltender to come up with those saves as the the game goes on. So if Montreal can just keep peppering him with shots, um, you can, you can see that that Montreal will, will suddenly maybe get a greasy one, maybe get just a goal that's earned like a deflection goal um, like in game one where uh, I think Sherratt shot it and it went straight off of uh, maybe it went straight off of like Sergeyev's escape and right in, you know, I mean, he can't, he can't save those shots. So just keep doing that. And, and you'll find that you can score on Vasilevsky as great as he's been. Um, but you got to make, you got to make this, this guy work for it. You know, Montreal last night, it seemed that Carey Price was going to be able to have that game where um, Montreal would, would eventually get a goal and then suddenly, uh, you know, Price would just shut it down. I mean, he wasn't really facing a lot of shots in that second period, so he was, a, he was having a pretty lackadaisical second period in the sense that he just wasn't facing much. Uh, and, you know, that, that, that second goal that the Lightning scored, it's a lateral movement. It's a... No matter how good you are as a goaltender in this league, a lateral movement play is a very, very hard um, save to make on a uh, in a game. I mean, two on ones. That's why two on ones are always exciting to watch because you know if the player makes a lateral pass and they shoot the puck, you know, high glove side where a goaltender almost has no chance, and they make that save, it's like holy crap! You know, what was the probabilities of them saving that? Um, but I think going forward, I think Montreal just needs to to do what we just said, just pepper Montreal and, and make sure that they pepper they, uh, they they just throw everything they can at, at Vasilevsky. It's never a bad idea to shoot on net no matter where you are. Yeah, and, and that team just they've been doing it all postseason. Keep having fun, man. Cole Caulfield's face is is like is um should be like the poster child for their mentality because as long as they're having fun out there, that is a team that can be lethal when they're having fun. Um, I think that's a, that's a point when teams might end up even taking them less seriously. And that, that could be a uh, huge advantage for Montreal if they continue to play like that, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm still trying to quickly find uh, just that second period shot total, but I'm having a hard time. Uh, doing so um but you know we, we i think we've stated this episode very well you know what montreal needs to to keep doing what they need to change and going forward what what needs to happen and what we need to see from montreal um because if if they don't do something in game three this this series could possibly end in montreal and i don't think anybody wants to see that um and, and with that being said i don't know if you've anything else to add in uh, I think we hit. I think we did a really good job of breaking yeah. down what we had here. Yeah, I think this one's pretty well laid out. It's only been two games, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, two games. It's nothing to overreact to. You know, wait until Montreal loses at home, and then you can hit the panic button. Exactly. Um, but you know, Montreal since that Toronto series has been pretty stellar at home, and you know they they're a pretty damn good road team as well. Uh, and, and do they get their coach back? Yeah, they, yeah. Actually, they oh, get Dominic Ducharme back. That's right. Huge. That could be huge. We didn't, I can't. We didn't even touch on that. I know. <laughs> yeah, of course. All the right, last wait. minute. <laughs> <laughs> we got it in. <laughs> yeah, we did get it in. At least we can get credit for it. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think they will absolutely bounce back in Game Three now that they're getting their coach back and just being at home. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any photos or any. Uh, videos of, of Montreal outside the Bell Center, but uh, that place is packed. Um, Montreal streets are filled with just a sea of red jerseys. 
um, just waiting to to cheer and waiting to just unload all this energy and passion they have. So, good point. Know, hopefully, going into these two games, they can they can give something that those those people in Montreal can cheer for. Yeah, but, I agree. Know, with that being said, I think we've pretty much hammered it enough. Um, this this is a good episode, and we always appreciate you guys listening. So, uh, from here on out, you know, as always, enjoy the games tomorrow. Uh, we have game three, and then Monday is game four, uh, and all the games are at eight o'clock. Uh, unless it goes to game seven, then we finally get a seven o'clock game, which it's almost like wherever those games, wherever those uh, game starts have been. But uh, regardless, you know, just enjoy the games. It's a very fun Stanley Cup final as always, and uh, we appreciate you listening. Peace out.